Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor, Eric Sandler. Before we get into today's show, I want to take a moment to say thank you. More people listen to this podcast in January than in any individual month of 2021. That's thanks to all of you who've told your friends about the show and encouraged them to give it a listen. This podcast is coming up on its five-year anniversary, and I still feel so excited every time someone comes up to me to tell me how much they enjoy listening. For those of you who are new, welcome. I've got some great guests lined up for the next few weeks and lots of exciting new restaurants to talk about. If you aren't already, follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. I'm always happy to DM with people who want advice on where to celebrate a special occasion or what new restaurant to try first. If you've been listening through the Culture Map website, you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Additional thanks to my co-hosts, Mary Clarkson, Michael Fulmer, Matt Harris, Linda Salinas, and Felice Sloan for always bringing their A-games, and to our producer, Michael Carroll, for all of his hard work. With that said, let's kick off the show. No guests this week, which means I've got more time to talk to this week's co-host. He's a passionate advocate for the Houston food scene. We follow him on Instagram at thatguyhouston. Matt Harris, welcome back to the show. How are you? Daddy, doing well. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Thanks for doing this. Uh, If I might be so bold to take a quick step back and say congratulations on the listens for January and on the upcoming five-year anniversary. And uh, I don't want to speak for the other co-hosts, but really, I think Michael Carroll is the one who deserves the lion's share of the credit for uh, for this production, in addition to yourself, obviously. <laughs> uh, yes, Michael is an invaluable part of the team, even though he is uh, behind the scenes and uh, the, the listeners don't hear him. But uh, yes, we, we literally couldn't do this without him. So all, all credit to Michael Carroll. Agreed. Oh, I love you guys. Ah! That was a cathartic scream of love. All right, let's dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, Clark Cooper Concepts announced that it has split up. Grant Cooper has formed Good Vibe Hospitality. They will operate Copa Osteria, Gratify Neighborhood Bistro, and Flora, a new Mexican restaurant that will Occupy the former Dunlavey space. Chef Charles Clark is now the proprietor of Brasserie 19. In their press releases and in their statements to me, both men emphasized that the split was amicable. This had simply run its course and they wanted to do different things in the future. Matt, let me throw it to you. What do you think of the legacy of Clark Cooper Concepts? It was around for 20 years. How important were restaurants like Ibiza, Catalan, and Brasserie 19 to Houston? Uh, you know, it's I get it. They've had a, a lot of success. It's been a very, uh, I think, a, a, a very good partnership for, uh, you know, with, with Charles in the back of the house and, and Grant in front of the house. And, uh, you know, my memories, uh, first memories of them actually go back to Tosca, which was uh, downtown and the late 1990s, maybe early 2000s, uh, even before Ibiza. And, you know, they're, they're a staple in the Houston restaurant scene. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that they, 
I mean, I agree with you. I think that they they carved quite a path and they and they opened a lot of doors for people. You know, certainly Catalan was, you know, Chris Shepard's first restaurant and he had some success there and then, you know, moved on and opened Underbelly and, and did all the things that he's done since. But, you know, Ibiza with its kind of eclectic menu and its very reasonable wine pricing, you know, that's at the stage for some of what Brian Caswell and Bill Floyd did at Reef, you know, showed that Midtown could be a viable dining neighborhood. Catalan was very early on to uh, the movement on Washington Avenue. I think that was, that was very important. And certainly, I mean, you know, you can't underestimate what Brasserie 19 has done just in terms of being a lively CNBC spot, you know, a real uh, neighborhood restaurant for River Oaks and, you know, all of the stuff that they've now done at, Rice Village with uh, Gratify and Copa and Punk Simple Southern Food before that. I mean, it, it was, it's an impressive run for any business partnership. I mean, for any professional relationship to last more than 20 years, really, uh, really says a lot. And uh, they, they deserve a lot of credit for all of their accomplishments. Indeed. Yeah. And, and, you know, going back to Ibiza with the, uh, you know, the, the wine pricing, something that you see, I don't want to say it's it's the norm now, but you certainly see it more often. And and that was pretty groundbreaking at the time. A lot of a lot of good memories of Bifa. Bifa was kind of predated. That 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 was really before I think Houston sort of started to come into the national scene. So you can certainly trace a lot of the successes of of where Houston is now, you know, back to some of what uh, Charles and Grant did. I think that's right. The, 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 you know, Houston in kind of the late nineties and early two thousands really hadn't started to get that national recognition. And it had kind of come in the eighties with Robert Del Grande and maybe Tony Vallone. And then we kind of were, were in the wilderness, so to speak, you know, from a national perspective. Uh, but they helped pave the way. I mean, you know, they get some credit for that. Monica Pope gets some credit for that. You know, some other people, but, but certainly, Charles and Grant definitely did a lot for this city. So, so let me uh, let me give you one other question, and we'll move on. Does does anything about the change in ownership make you any more or less likely to want to stop by any of these restaurants? Uh, personally, not really. My senses, my personal senses, there. I don't know that you'll see a lot of of changes. Uh, it's more just sort of just continuing on their current path. So I'm still due for a visit to gratify. So uh, or overdue, depending on your point of view, but yeah, no, you know, I I think that uh, they just, they probably realized it was a good time. And, you know, sometimes like the, uh, the athlete that, that, stays on a, a few too many years so i think they're they're not retiring obviously but i think that they realized the, the time was right the time was right and when the time's right the time's right so good for them well sort of two thoughts to to follow up on that well the first is that you know if you're for for people like you who are due or overdue for a visit to gratify it has really come into itself in the last few months it's now open seven days a week it's open for lunch. It's open for brunch. So, 
you know, it had that, that super buzzy, like big opening dinner, very difficult to get reservations. Uh, I would think now that it's open for lunch that, you know, I think, you know, dinner on a weekend still probably a pretty tough, tough table to book, but you could pop in on a Tuesday or Wednesday for lunch for people who just want to check it out. And then separately, I, I am intrigued. I, I have not been to Brasserie 19 in a couple of years. I went uh, around the time of my birthday in 2020 when restaurants were first reopening. And I've been, you know, once or twice maybe since then. But, but that Charles is there every day now and is working with the chef, Michael Hoffman, to, to tweak the menu and observe the service. And I won't say that it, it wasn't the same after... Sean Vereen left to open a boozy. It's longtime general manager because I'm I'm not a I'm not a B19 regular. I don't really have that perspective. But but that there is that personality, that proprietor, that uh empresario, you know, holding court and greeting people uh back at Brasserie 19 every day in the form of Charles Clark. I think that's very exciting to me. And and if you, you know, if you're on any of the Facebook foodie groups. Uh, you'll see that Charles is is very uh, very engaged, very quick to respond, and really a, a presence in that restaurant in a way that he, as far as I know, has not been for a few years. So, yeah, I think uh, a trip to B nineteen is definitely on my to do list uh, sooner than later. And and I will say that uh, in a couple of weeks, Charles and Michael will both be guests on this podcast to talk about kind of where they're at and, and what their plans are. So I, I look forward to that conversation quite a bit. Well, as you're want to do, Daddy, you make a good point. And to your point, let me know and I will join you at B19. All right. That sounds good. Let us move on to topic number two. Chef Monica Pope has teamed up with Henderson and Kane owners Veronica and John Avila to open the Telegram Tea Room a neighborhood cafe that will sell goods by local producers. Uh, This is a little bit, it's a little bit of a restaurant. It's a little bit of a, like an all day cafe and it's, it's not a full Henderson and Kane. It won't have the the full mix of products, but it'll have a little bit of that vibe and also some, some dinnertime specials. I know Monica told me she's going to bring back her Sunday suppers with the Pope. You know, she's looked at some of the, programming that Henderson and Kane has done in terms of, you know, they have a burger night, they have a steak night, they have this and that. And she's like, oh, well, you know, we can have a, a vegan burger night or we can have, you know, our own variations on that. So she sounds really excited about getting involved in this. Matt, let me throw it to you. What do you, what do you think about having Monica Pope back in uh, a restaurant setting, which admittedly, this is a, this is a few months from coming to fruition, but, but it's on the horizon. I, I mean, I think it's great. Uh, relationship with with Monica goes back many, many years. Boulevard Bistro on... Uh, it was on Montrose, wasn't it? Montrose, thank you. Montrose and Richmond. You know, and then over to, to Fia and Sparrow. And um, she's been a presence and has, has maintained relevance and was a early sort of uh, supporter of farm to table and sustainability. and. So these are all good things. I, I absolutely agree. And, you know, Monica, you know, she's, she's sort of stayed, stayed in the mix by having cooking classes and, and selling food at the 
the farmer's market under the sparrow banner, but, you know, in terms of having like a regular meal that she sort of supervised the preparation of that has not been a possibility. And, and she's still just judging by the readership of this article, she still has a very devoted following. And, and so, you know, credit to her because it's a, it's a tough business. And, and, you know, there was a whole Houston Chronicle article that came out a while back about some of the challenges she's gone through the last few years, but uh, you know, it's good to see her. It's going to be good to see her like back in a, back in a restaurant setting back uh, doing what people love. Agreed. And, you know, I think that's an interesting partnership with uh, John and Veronica and my, my curiosity is, is peaked as they say. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, you know, we don't maybe talk that much about Henderson and Kane, but, but it has been sort of in, from my perspective, a somewhat unlikely success story, right? They, they do the barbecue thing. They have these, these various dinner specials that I already talked about. They have a great selection of, you know, wine and beer crafts. Like you can buy meat there. You can buy dry goods there. You can buy all kinds of stuff. And it's become like a real outlet for all of these different, you know, local producers. They sell kin sauces. They sell tamales by Cochinita and Co. They have all these baked goods that different local vendors supply. And so I, you know, that's been a very successful model for them. And so growing that to other locations makes a lot of sense to me. Agreed. And I I think uh, adding Monica to that mix only, you know, expands the brand, so to speak. So looking forward to it. Absolutely. All right. Let's do topic number three. The Warwick will open in the former Houston space on Westheimer. Uh, This is a project that unites a bunch of guys with kind of experience in the world of bars and nightclubs and coffee shops. Uh, you know, I know Mazen Baltaji, who's been involved in everything from Slowpokes to Chapman and Kirby. I know one of the owners of Prospect Park is involved in this. And, uh, and then the owner of uh, Bar 5015 out in Third Ward is one of the partners in this. So it's an eclectic ownership group. And they've made uh, a good decision from my perspective by hiring Antoine Ware, who was the chef at... Uh, Harold's in the Heights. I know he's worked for Luby's more recently and uh, his resume goes back to, to Brennan's and Catalan and Underbelly and Haymerchant. So, you know, a pretty accomplished guy. Matt, I say all that to say to you, what do you think about the Warwick in general and Antoine Ware's involvement specifically? Uh, I'll be honest, Daddy. I, I'm a little less familiar with the project. On the flip side, I'm, I'm much more familiar with, with Antoine. And just as big of a fan of his food as I am of him, I, he just, he's just a, a great dude. I, I love his story. Uh, I love his food. I love that he's going to be uh, having his uh, hands on, on another uh, uh, menu in Houston. And that, again, a little unfamiliar with the project as a whole, but his involvement is enough to uh, secure a visit from yours truly. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the project as a whole is, is interesting. I, you know, they want to, they want to pay homage to Houston's in some ways with some of the dishes they are going to do a spin a charter choke dip and a Hawaiian ribeye and a couple other things, you know, they've showed some pictures. It's they've kept the booths. I think they've been reupholstered. They're going to add some outdoor seating it's an interesting neighborhood in some ways. I mean, this Briar Grove area, you know, 
a lot of families, a lot of young professionals, a lot of, you know, people who are kind of settled down, but at the same time, there's like all these kind of lively concepts nearby, you know, Beavers became camp, uh, Prospect Park's a very lively, very successful sports bar, Juliet, this new kind of movie theme restaurant just opened in the same shopping center as Shama Gaucha, but uh, there isn't like that kind of upscale dining oriented concept. And, and I know there's been some skepticism from, from uh, people in the neighborhood, you know, some angry next door threads and whatnot. But uh, you know, I, I asked, I was like, what's going to be like? And they're like, you know, no DJs, no bottle service, regular restaurant hours. It's like, okay. So this isn't, this isn't like your Bisu or, or kiss or whatever, where it's like, Kind of, kind of a nightclub and kind of a restaurant. Clay or so, clay or I yeah, clay's a, yeah. Well, clay's a straight nightclub, you know. So this is uh, this is more of a you know, like you know, as long as there's not bottle service, I think you know you're 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 a restaurant, right? Like if you if you have bottle service and you're not a restaurant, in my opinion, no matter no matter how good the food is. So you know, if this can be that date night spot, you know, they want to they want to have a business crowd for lunch you know, and kind of replace Houston's as that gathering place that for a, a, a more elevated kind of dining experience, I think that's all to the good. Doesn't sound bad. Absolutely. All right, Matt, I'm going to say that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. Matt, for our restaurants of the week, I want to talk to you about Post Market. This is the, the food hall at Post Houston, which is the new development that took the uh, transformed, really, the Barbara Jordan Post Office at the north end of downtown. You know, the, the food hall has over a dozen concepts. Obviously, we're not gonna we're not gonna go individually through all of them, and and there's still a few I haven't made it to. I mean, like I've heard. I've heard great things about the Mediterranean restaurant. I've heard great things about the, the Vietnamese place with the pho, but I, I haven't, I haven't quite gotten there yet, but I do want to focus on, on some of the restaurants in there where you and I have either dined together or dined separately. And I want to start with Gulf Strawman. This is the, the sort of upscale seafood restaurant from Christopher Hottuft, who's from, from Norway. He's working with Paul Key on this. Matt, let me just throw it to you. What do you, we had a, we had a really good meal at Gulf Strawman and, and I just, uh, what were, what were some of the dishes that you really remember from that experience? Um, really good, maybe underselling it at what it was one of my favorite meals of 2021. There, uh, were a few things that stood out. Of course, it's really tough to beat a quality piece of Otoro. Just, Beautifully cut, delicious, buttery, fatty goodness. But uh, the one that, that, and maybe it's because of the name, but uh, the one that really stuck with me was the Snitter, that sort of open-faced Norwegian sandwich. Just flavors on flavor. It was really, really good. One of my, one of my favorite bites from 2021. Yeah, no, that, that snitter was very impressive. I mean, the, the noodles with the clams were great. Those crab claws that they had, you know, they took a whole snapper and they fried half of it and they uh, roasted half of it and served it in a brown butter pecan sauce. I mean, 
all of that was really impressive. And the idea is that, you know, they're going to get great product, mostly from the Gulf, but also from, from other parts of the world. And they're going to figure out the best way to serve it. And, and the nice thing about uh, Christopher Hotuft is that he doesn't, he has a fresh perspective on all these ingredients. He's sort of, he's tasting some of them for the first time. And he could combine that with Paul's perspective as someone who's, who's got all of those Asian influences who worked at Uchi and has operated high-end sushi places. And so, you know, it all comes together in this really vibrant, really exciting way. And so, you know, you sit down at Gulfstraumen and you kind of look at the, the selection of what they have and, and then, you know, you just kind of go from there. And so you, you make that reservation and you, you don't know necessarily what you're getting. And, and that's part of the excitement of it, I think. No, agreed. And, you know, they've got daily specials and it depends on what the, the you know, the catch is for that week. And, you, you know, you could go in and, and it doesn't have to be really elaborate. You could go in and. and no, you can uh, get a dozen oysters and a snitter and, you know, it's a it's a less expensive, more conventional kind of experience. Are you twisting my arm? Because I'm <laughs> I'll go. I'll go right now. <laughs> I'm not opposed. I'm, I, 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 don't, uh, I don't have any objection to that idea. And then, you know, some of the other ones I want to talk about, you know, Chop and Block, uh, the West African concept. I had Opia Mosu, the owner on this podcast a few years ago. But, but you know, after having operated as kind of a pop-up and it hasn't, it hasn't been available daily. I mean, this fast, casual West African food is now, is now available all the time. And I've been really impressed by uh, the, the rice bowls that I've, I've kind of had there. I, I would say few, few bites of food have stuck with me the way they do at Chop and Block. Just everything, the flavors, the textures, they just really speak to me. It's uh, sort of interesting. Huge Opie fan. I mean, just a great personality, a guy that you just want to, hang out with. Um, he refers to himself as the cultural creator at Chop and Block. And, and I think that's interesting in and of itself, but it's also, it, it really fits because it goes beyond just the food and there is a culture there and, and you sort of become this uh, um, devotee. And obviously the food has to stand up, but uh, it starts there. But man, I just can't say enough good things um about chopping block and just super happy for him and his team so congrats and thank you no absolutely and, and just you know for people who are going i mean i would say the first way to encounter it is to pick one of the bowls right either the trad with the the jollof rice which is a little bit like jambalaya right it's the it's the dish that you know, crosses the Atlantic and, and becomes jambalaya. So it's smoky. It's got the tomato. It's got a, it's got some chicken in it. It's, it's very flavorful or the motherland, which is the, the vegetarian dish with the black eyed peas and the, and the plantains, and then kind of go from there. And, and you'll find that, that Opie and his whole team are very, you know, very welcoming. They know that for some people, this food isn't familiar and that they, they need a little handholding. And, and that's kind of the whole point of the concept is, is that it's, it's faithful to its origins, but also welcoming to people who are curious. And, and so for those reasons, I just think, 
it's such a smart and and it's not it's not the kind of food that we see in food halls typically right it it it's so it's right. it's something special and it's it's worth uh celebrating absolutely and, and i give a plug for i i mean i just thinking of those Liberian greens that they do are outstanding. I, I don't know that they're on the everyday menu, but if the uh, mini pies are available, order like three orders and thank me later. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good call. And then just a couple more. I want to talk about soy pinoy. This is Paul Keys, Filipino restaurant. You know, Paul obviously is Filipino. You know, when when he had a key here in Houston, it had some Filipino elements and, and a whole bunch of other elements. Uh, but this is a dedicated Filipino restaurant in a city where, I mean, arguably the the best Filipino restaurants is uh, the food that that Gabe uh, Gabe Medina is doing as part of the uh, Click Virtual Food Hall. So you know, to have a, a sit down food hall space that that has some of those flavors, I think is is a welcome addition. And, and, you know, you and I have both tried their, uh, Kanayan, Kamayan, like a, yes, a sam- Kamayan platter. Yeah. A, a sampler platter with, with a whole bunch of stuff. Matt, what, what stood out for you on that? A lot. I mean, it was, it was all pretty delicious. Just a really good example of Filipino flavors, but the Kari Kari was the one that, that really spoke to me. An oxtail was the protein, and it's this just rich, flavorful, delicious stew. It was all good, but but if I had to choose one, that that's the one. No, that that oxtail stew was very good, and then that 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 crispy pork belly, the Lake John, was really flavorful, really tasty. And there was the, uh, I mean, the the seasoned fried chicken. You know, it's a it's a $65 platter that will more than comfortably feed two. And, you know, the interesting thing about soy pinoy is Tom Kunanen, who's a, a chef from Washington, D.C., won a James Beard Award in 2019, has, has been in Houston recently, also Filipino, also working with Paul. And so, you know, they've been tweaking the soy pinoy menu, and I think it's, it's only going to get better with two very talented chefs uh, working on it. No doubt. And, and, you know, I think Paul's got his hands in a, in a lot of fires over there. And uh, I think that just uh, a little bit of, of focus uh, on soy pinoy already shows. I mean, that, that platter was, was delicious and it is, it is an ample serving for two people and just, Lots of interesting flavors and just a really, I think, a really great representation of Filipino food. Right. And then I, I could talk about, well, we, I talked about the butcher's burger at, a couple of weeks ago with Michael Fulmer. So I'm going to skip that. I'll skip, I'll come back to salt and time another time. But, but I do want to wrap this up with Eastside King, which is the kind of Asian street food concept that Paul developed in Austin. It's now in Houston, uh, but they're doing sushi. It's the only sushi option in the food hall. And they've started doing this omakase where you get roughly 12 pieces and a hand roll. Uh, it's $49, which is much less expensive than most of the other omakase experiences around town. Obviously, it doesn't have the trappings, right? It's, it's, it's 
not quite as personal. It's certainly not as intimate, but each piece is prepared to order and presented to you individually, uh, just like at a, at a regular omakase. It reminds me a little bit of Sugarfish, a restaurant in uh, Los Angeles and New York that's, that's kind of democratized this experience. But, but the quality of fish was really good. And the flavors were on point. And I thought it was really, uh, really fun way to die. And Matt, I don't know if you've, uh, if you've had the chance to take the plunge at Eastside King yet. Uh, I have not had the chance to take the Omakase plunge or visit Eastside King at the post. I have many, many visits over the years in Austin, but I will be able to answer that in the affirmative by the next podcast would be my guess. Um, <laughs> It, uh, it, it is pushing the uh, Kata lunch special as, as the best sushi deal in town. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Sushi is something that's uh, right in the, the wheelhouse of my uh, uh, current eating lifestyle. So, yes. Do you have any other uh, places you want to mention at the post before we wrap this up? Well, you know, there, there is uh, a certain ice cream spot. It's kind of right there in the middle called flour and cream. And I would just say, do yourself a favor. If you go to the post, save room for dessert and get some ice cream from flour and cream. You'll be glad you did. I think you'll be glad you did. I'm a big fan. I will say I'm always glad when I do. There you go. I mean, do you need a higher recommendation than that? I don't think so. (laughs) <laughs> and more to come. I mean, there's still, that's the, the post oh. is, is just starting. Right. Uh, I and, mean, uh, David Guerrero just opened the, the ceviche bar component of Andy's cafe last weekend. I haven't had a chance to try that. You know, that, that pizza oven that will power uh, Roberta's from Brooklyn is in place, but it's not entirely clear when that's going to open. There's a wine bar from, uh, the Samoyer behind Cezanne, which is, uh, you know, a three-star, well, currently a two-star Michelin restaurant in San Francisco. So there's a lot more coming. And so, you know, every time I go, I find something new to try, something new to get excited about. Yeah. And I mean, if, if David Guerrero is cooking somewhere, you can count on me being there at some point. So that's really exciting. And, you know, there's a, a, a rumored, restaurant tbd on 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 the rooftop that's going to be opening and there i I think there's more to come so um, yeah and and maybe uh maybe something in the basement too apparently there's some there's some stuff happening so yeah quite a quite a bit quite a bit still to come at the post yes so all good things for houston so that's also exciting all right well i'm gonna say that does it for the restaurants of the week thank you very much thanks daddy And that does it for this week's show. Thanks so much for listening. As I said earlier, you can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back.